Welcome to Amplify. Music from John McLaughlin a track called December Winter Music. From his latest release, Drinking the Stars, an album of his piano music from Farpoint Recordings featuring pianist Mary DeLay. On this week's episode, we feature a conversation recorded during the summer with John McLaughlin and myself. The conversation was recorded at the Irish Institute of Music and Song during the Irish Composition Summer School. At the time we spoke, John had recently returned from an artist residency at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris, supported by the Contemporary Music Centre. So he spoke to me about this and the piece he worked on while on this residency. He also spoke to me how in recent years he has adopted a more holistic approach to composing, achieving a compositional flow state, writing for piano and his new album of piano music which spans three decades of his works. You've just returned from a month-long residency at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris, which was supported by CMC and the CCI. How is this experience for you? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm extremely grateful to CMC and Centre Culturel Irlandais for running these these uh, residencies. I had a lot of expectations, and I think it surpassed those. I had worries, and I got I coped with those. The worries were really, would I get anything done, or would I be having too much fun in Paris? I suppose I haven't just come down in the last cloud, so I figured I'd have to balance working on a new piece and doing Paris things like going to fantastic exhibitions because it's incredibly stimulating, you know. But anyway, I cooked up an idea where the piece itself would, you know, use sounds that I would gather in Paris. It would use human voices who spoke French so that it would help me get into the world of Paris and it would be part of my piece. I'm sure all artists would agree that going to these kind of colonies or retreats or whatever the various titles they have, it's nourishing in, in a subtle way but actually a really important way. I mean, I could get fanciful, and I don't think it would be completely wrong to say that artists are born out of chaos to some extent. Very often they come, you know, they've had a very mixed up or stimulated origin in their childhood and teenage years or whatever, done lots of weird things, and uh, and they need to touch base with that sometimes while also needing calm and structure. Obviously, everybody needs structure in their life mm. to be to achieve what we call executive function, uh, you know. But uh, artists also need a bit of the crazy stuff on the side uh, as part of their world. I'm not talking about going mad partying. I'm talking no. about just a lot of stimulation coming in the eyes and the ears as a city gives you. So mm. there is something for that. And I think if all artists were deprived of all cities forever, we might see a bit of a slump.
J'entendrai tout dans ce couloir aux minces cloisons, tout blanc de fenêtres, avec cette odeur fade et sucrée de la boiserie que le soleil chauffe. Quelquefois, j'attendais longtemps devant sa porte et dans un décor si connu qu'il m'écœurait. J'y frappais, j'attendais le vide baillé derrière. On marchait bien vite à côté comme pour venir. Une heure se plaignait quelque part. Le soir tombait par les baies vitrées sur les marches. Et puis les houles du vent d'automne, des frissons d'arbres sur le rempart. L'odeur de la pluie dans les douves et bien des frissons Tell me a little bit more about the piece that you worked on whilst you were in Paris. It was an electroacoustic piece. Um, did you have this idea beforehand to work on this piece or, or did, did it form whilst you were there? Sure. Well, when you apply to CMC slash CCI for the residency, you propose what you're going to work on. So I did propose a particular exploration of, I'd started thinking about the situationists and then it sort of evolved in direction of uh, surrealists and it was definitely going to have a text element. I was also spending time listening to all the French music concrete pioneers. So I was I was doing a bit of homework. Uh, and one thing tends to lead to another. You start looking at one thing and then you see next door to that is something else. So I ended up with a sort of 10 pages of text of mostly poetry of Paul Éloire and Léon Paul Fargue and a tiny sprinkling of Apollinaire. I was asking francophone speakers to record it just without giving them any direction just mm. just can you read these for me and th they were all they were all different and the personalities came in and so forth the other thing was that for the other sounds that weren't human voices in this piece i was uh, more or less trying to gather them in paris so that you know there's a reason to go out the door maybe mm. but also just to have a just to just a sort of ontological satisfaction that the piece is actually of a time and place It may not mean anything to the listener, but it means something to me. And when I hear the piece back, it's like June 2023. And that's quite gratifying personally. But of course, yeah, it goes out in the world and that's something else. I did bring in a few other things that weren't from Paris, uh, which would have been just from my own music, recordings of my own music. But I kept that very limited in order to unify the piece. And also another element that happened when I was there, I wanted to let my experience in that month to, to shape the piece or to come into the piece. They had a thing called the Festival of I. Ideas. So at that, I heard a Ukrainian poet who writes and generally speaks of whatever Russian. And he had a marvelous poem. And I actually asked him, would he please record for me? So while I had all these guys, the French uh, poets in the piece, I have one um, Ukrainian and he's alive. And my French poets are all sort of uh, early first half of the 20th century. And the linking thing throughout this is that another thing that was feeding into my piece was that I was very conscious of the idea that when the world is falling apart with climate change and war, and I very much feel that we're in World War III potentially, uh, that it makes you think, how, how or why does the artist carry on at all? It's like, why do you bother? You know, you might as well put your things away and throw your hat at it. But then you realize, no, uh, that's not what you do, you know. Uh, and one of the things that was feeding into my mind a little bit as well was all these people like Frantisches Kupka or... Vasily Kandinsky, who were all producing marvelous work in Paris uh, during the Second World War. And of course, my poets were all uh, alive through both wars. 
And again, it didn't stop them. If anything, it actually strengthened their work because their response was like more vital, you know. So, so I thought, well, you know, that's an inspiration. And then I met this guy who's dealing with the current war very in a very real way. I just was so moved by the poem. I just, I just uh, felt it worked, and that it was in the scheme of. I want stuff to be, I'm learning in Paris and not, yeah. So like mm-hmm. Paris is changing me, it's changing this piece. And I mean, that's a good thing, surely. <laughs> and and uh, why is that now? Why now? Is it, is it the, the time we're living in, going back to what you were saying about like art continuing mm. in spite of war and the fact that we are in such a, it really does feel a very, very un, uncertain, very different time than anything that's gone before. And Presumably, the parallels are back there to to the to the previous two world wars. It's partly because I'm feeling in a more holistic way that my composition is part of my life and it's not a separate, uh, compartmentalized event. And I think that'll be a healthier way to go forward. And it's partly the fact that over the last couple of years there, I was working a lot with my mother's texts, and it was very, uh, yeah, very affecting me. So you know, in a way that was far less abstract than just. Uh, notes on the page. As I was coming up to her centenary, my mother being a poet and a playwright and a novelist and a short story writer. So I was dealing with a great deal of stuff and I was putting it into one or two pieces of music as well. Yeah, that made me feel very engaged in a different way. So I suppose the sort of affect of extra musical things. I've often had extra musical things that are important in a piece, but they couldn't themselves be very abstract, such as numbers, <laughs> maths, or, or, or goodness knows what, or even just admiring like the paintings of uh, Pete Montrian or something, which is incredibly cold mm. and abstract. So if you're suddenly engaging with something that is really squeezing on your heart, uh, that's a new feeling, as it were. Yeah. So, so that's yeah, it's a new angle, it's a new um, avenue of my work uh, at this great age. previous decades I, I had compartmentalization perfected so it was like yeah I can carry on writing something that just slots into a very obscure festival and, and I'm happy with that and now it's, it's a lesser case that I'm happy with it partly because I've lived 17 years in Donegal and it's there's always this question of how do I even explain what I'm doing to, 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 to lots of people and that could be anywhere of course in the city as well uh, just generally this uh, you know non-existence problem that Raymond Dean identified years ago so can, I, I'm still constantly having that chat other people bring it up not just me i hasten to add other composers say yeah we still have this problem of not existing and not getting understood you know the way ireland has recognition for living poets and so forth but really very little for anything remotely difficult and challenging in in Mm. music so i'm aiming for a more holistic uh, approach to my life where everything is more integrated and less compartmentalized and i'm also maximizing opportunities for a good, intelligent, artistic, culture vulture type person to be able to accept what I do by sneaking it in in this way. Mm-hmm. And and I'm far less kind of hung up on the problem side of that and more, and more looking at the positive. So it's like I'm looking at the positive side of a two-edged thing instead of the negative side of the same two-edged thing. And it's just a better 
more healthy approach. I think maybe I'm just finally discovering sanity and sensibleness. <laughs> is that is that you know uh, maturity in your in your middle age now compared compared to your younger self, which happens. Yeah, a lot of composers. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're encouraged to be a young Turk, maybe by the system of, you know, university training. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a strong tendency, if you already have that, if you already have a superiority complex or some weird intellectual kinks, uh, and then you go to university, it's reinforced, if anything, in certain places, probably in most places, because you go into this obscure thing where oh yeah, it doesn't matter, we're adding to something great here and it'll just appear in an obscure uh, thing nobody reads in the case of, you know, academic writing and everybody's totally on message with that. Uh, and and equally with composing, there's the ghettos of, of contemporary music events and festivals and so on, you know, which you can certainly, what's the word, you, you can... Um, revel you can revel in in that to a certain extent and you can compartmentalize as i mentioned before but at some point you're going to have a crisis about the rest of the world not knowing that you're doing anything worthwhile and you're going to have to well not everybody but i think in my case you know it's just moving towards how can i um how can i reach these people it's like how can i reach these people (laughs) but it's like i said it's it's like this double-edged sword where um yeah, I'd love the other people to move, but I'll move too. Would I be right in saying that that's about finding a purpose as a, as an artist? It could be to do with counting down the decades that one has left and saying, oh, yeah, maybe I need to change my approach a little bit. Quand le ciel colore d'une joue, les enfants, les yeux, le chérir. Au point doré de périr dans les roses, le temps se joue. Devant le muet de plaisir qui enchaîne une telle peinture, dans une ombre à libre ceinture, que le temps est prêt de saisir. Cette ceinture vagabonde fait dans le souffle aérien frémir le suprême lien de mon silence avec ce monde. Absent, présent, je suis bien seul et sombre au soir l'insol. You spoke about this, um, you know, in terms of connecting with with the sort of wider world. Um, you know, looking back, you know, looking back over the last maybe uh, 15, 20 years, and we're going to talk about your um, your latest album shortly, which takes a, a time span of almost 30 years in terms of that uh, new piano um, album. Um, what drives you now compared to, um, you know, earlier times musically? I think when I'm composing, I find that the creative act is the happiest state of mind that you can achieve because you're in the flow. Sometimes when you're working on other work, that that happens. Like if you're really teaching a great student, say, in my case, it would be piano teaching. But I mean, anyone who's teachers would know about this. There are times when you think this is we're really cooking here. They're really this is wonderful. You know, they're just going to they're going to remember this, I hope (laughs) or whatever. But anyway, you're having a good time, you know, and and you're in the flow. But a lot of the time. 
that's the state of mind you you want to come back to. So I suppose it's a bit addictive. Creative people are very happy when it's going well, and they will all acknowledge that that's only 5% of the work they have to do because they have so much admin. And you might be sitting there staring at a blank page for half an hour, nothing's happening for an hour, and then it starts happening for the next two hours. So the flow state and, and the great stuff, and, the, and when you actually start producing what you seem to think is absolutely wonderful stuff, is in itself, not necessarily a, a large amount of the time, but you're chasing that, you know, and uh, and you need it to be there because really only the good stuff happens when that's happening. If you're not in the flow state, uh, you're probably on the wrong track. I think most artists, writers and so forth would, would absolutely agree with that. Turning to this uh, latest album that was released in June, Drinking the Stars, an album of your piano music with Mary DeLay, and that was released on Farpoint Records. And as I mentioned earlier, it spans an output from the 1990s to today. First of all, the piano. Talk to me a little bit about the piano and the importance of that in your musical life and your composing life. Most composers that I'm really admiring would say that when Ligeti produced his etudes, it made them almost stop writing piano music, but it also encouraged them because the piano music that had been written uh, by the great modernists like uh, Boulez, Babbage, etc., etc., was always a very tiny slice of their output. The piano had its huge moments with Liszt and Chopin, and then it was kind of on the down, uh, gentle downward slope till the 1950s, 60s. And then you have Ligeti uh, turning up with his incredible three books of etudes. And then everybody suddenly realized they could look at the piano in a new way. Uh, it took me a while to, to respond to that. I still felt that piano was a really difficult instrument to write for with the sort of um, massive tradition on your shoulder. But, you know, then you pick away and you it's a bit like you sort of chip away at the whole problem and, you know, a few pieces come along. And there were huge gaps in my piano output, you know, between some of the earlier phases on that album. So you've got like 1994 and the big gap, I can't remember, but it goes to nearly 10 years or something like that. And then I started to f- do a little flurry of piano writing um, because I felt I had some of the uh, solutions to the problems that previously I didn't have, you know. So it was technical and artistic and aesthetic barriers that I was kind of crashing through, like, you know, going through a forest with your machete, with great sense of satisfaction, I might add, because I've, I, I'm now happy that I feel I know a lot about writing for piano in terms of um, this, the options that are there, you know. Is it going to be dry? Is it going to have pedal? Is it going to be very part writing Uh You know, you've got so many possibilities. It really is very a flexible instrument when you get rid of the hang-ups <laughs> that I mentioned. And I think, in a sense, forget even that Ligeti did the stuff that he did. What's changed for you in, in, in writing for piano over, over those years? I mean, you know, you mentioned about solving particular problems yeah. during that period, but are there particular aspects of uh, piano writing that you're more drawn to now compared to some of those earlier compositions for the instrument? As my piano writing progresses, and I say this in the program notes, I become 
less rules bound and less uh, impossibly demanding of the performer. More inclined to think I could actually play this myself uh, because it's not as horrendously virtuosic as the earlier stuff. And I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, when I had a piece that I thought was virtuosic and suited to the Dublin International Piano Competition, but nobody chose to play it, that I realised, you know, my relationship with the world might need a little tweaking from my end. <laughs> Which is a theme in this conversation, quite clearly. Uh, so, um, and then, uh, you know, for a number of years, I also was discouraged by the fact that, you know, you have great special contemporary music pianists in, in other countries and not too many of them in Ireland. We have produced wonderful ones, but they end up living in other countries. Mm. It tells you something. So it's hard, it was hard to get access to the performers that I wanted, you know. So again, that's another reason to write in a different way. That's slightly easier. And you don't have to throw all your principles out. It's just a question of um, adjusting a few levers, you know. It's interesting because, you, you know, you mentioned Ligeti and his etudes and you know the piano uh, is often used by composers as a vehicle for you know uh, virtuosity because you know you're writing for particular performers and you really want to stretch them and push them and and that's what they're demanding of you but from what you said you've sort of almost gone the opposite direction yeah, it's interesting. Is it an opposite? Uh, sometimes when I write what I can play easily, it's not necessarily that easy. And I, I think actually some of my very abstract early stuff, like the two studies that are the f uh, oldest thing on that CD, in fact, they're not that hard, actually. They're just hard to enjoy. <laughs> they're a little bit austere, you know. There's absolutely no question that my writing is much more intuitive now than it used to be. Because I think when you've composed with sort of um, what I have called algorithms, but they're not in the mathematical sense, they're just rules-based writing where you set up uh, things like saying, oh, I'm only using these three intervals and I'm only using these kind of durations and I'm only using these timbres or whatever. So you feel the piece kind of can write itself without being process music and it's very satisfying. But when you've done that for a long time, actually you can turn to intuitiveness and then you can still produce the same sound out of your subconscious because you've done it. But you couldn't otherwise. You see, I'm a great believer in what a lot of people mix up intuitive with instinctive, but for me they're completely different words. It's intuition when you read words on a page and you don't break them down into their component letters. But you learnt that stuff. You couldn't do it if you hadn't sat down as a child. So reading fluently your English uh, prose from a book is an intuitive act because you are scanning this extraordinary code and it's turning into pictures in your head. And that is a marvel of the brain. Uh, and so for me, it is possible to create, uh, to learn to create in a particular discipline and to do it with, with kind of rules, with kind of like the ABC. And then later on, it just comes out as intact items.
I'm interested in in maybe hearing from you in when you when you talk about this intuitive approach in terms of how how the music differs, you know, or or maybe how how the audience exper- experiences the music and if that's different and how the performer experiences or, or performs mm-hmm. your music, you know, yeah. compared to those earlier pieces that maybe a lot more kind of based on particular rules and procedures and so forth. Yeah. Well, I think now that we're all talking and listening and hearing about artificial intelligence, albeit with a great deal of skepticism in many creative circles, I'm convinced that uh, if I was really had the time and inclination and had a coding person beside me, I could definitely teach a computer how to write some of my early music. And that is a disturbingly absurd fact. And that would certainly drive anyone into the arms of being more intuitive and to sort of this whole holistic thing of the stuff I'm, you know, the stuff I'm seeing in the art, the stuff I'm reading, the poetry, etc. I want to be a conduit for some meaning and I want content and meaning to to touch stuff that's not just notes, timbres and rhythms, you know, it, but I'm not repudiating abstract music because for me, abstract music is always um, magical you know, to come back to Jim Wilson's description. You know, good music is magical. End of. Going back to to the album of piano pieces, you've written a lot of miniature pieces as well as larger form piano pieces. And one of those, um, this is the kind of lockdown portion of the interview, um, one of the pieces, Stone, Bell and Sandwave, grew out of lockdown. Tell me about the background to this. As uh, probably lots of people noticed um, during lockdown everybody was posting on either Facebook or YouTube or similar they were putting out um, they were trying to communicate as artists that is performers and composers and all sorts of people were doing great little sketches and things so that was all in the air it became a cultural moment and it was wonderful in when it wasn't when everybody wasn't going mad it was something to do it was a positive side so um one of the things that happened was that ralph hind called ralph hind the pianist the rather wonderful british pianist who brought us all the legatee etudes back in the day um but also plays great music and is a wonderful composer one might add but anyway ralph hind put out the call for in fact i think he called them postcard pieces he wanted to just have many miniatures and he said when all this is over i'll play a selection he never promised to play them all <laughs> in a concert and meanwhile he put actually as he got them he said look write me a piece i can more or less get together in a day and record and i'll put them up every day so it was a real lockdown very much of its time and he did that and i sent him i wrote one I sent it and then I immediately wrote a second one and I said, could you do, could you ignore the first one? Uh, the second one's better. And uh, he did the first one and didn't do the second one. And then somebody else in America was doing a series, a piano 
uh, pianist and uh, I sent the second one to her and she did it and I thought well there's something in this short pieces postcard pieces they should be easy to write or at least they shouldn't take very long they should be quick to write and let's see just keep going you know until I have a whole bunch once I had two done I thought oh I'll just um, you know keep uh, making these and uh, in fact then I thought I had no idea what what number it ended up being 20 but I did to do the 20 I did bring in a few stray pieces that because I'd had a, a cycle called nine which was nine pieces. And around that time, there was one or two pieces floating that I didn't put into nine. So they made it into stone bill and sandwich. So I think I created like 14 um, brand new pieces or maybe something along those lines. And the other six were uh, either stray pieces or something that I culled from somewhere else. The, I made a piano version of the odd thing. There was a funny little piano, uh, funny little guitar piece that I transmogrified. I did change things around, but I reworked it into a nice little piano piece called Celeste. Do you enjoy the recording process? That was a very enjoyable recording process. I've been in on many recording processes uh, when it comes to my work in the uh, Irish Composition Summer School. And I find it very good learning environment normally in that in the latter case you learn because performers are saying oh you know this could be simpler this symbol you know just keep it simple get your point across and so on but in this particular case this was piano music it's it's all very straightforward what it's trying to say it's just hard to play um so in this case f- for this uh, double piano cd you i mean one just needs a fantastic pianist who believes in your music which is what i had in mary delay who i've always admired as if brilliant pianist, uh, you know, hearing her play Stravinsky or any of our colleagues in Ireland and so on. The object was to um, record as much as my of my output as she could do in three days, and she basically did nearly everything I wanted in terms of all the pieces I've written. Yeah, so it's, it's nearly everything I've written for piano, um, and it is the best of what the, was there. <laughs> 